Today we're talking with freelance UX and CRO consultant Elisa Mail, and we'll be talking about the six soft skills you need to develop as a CRO specialist. My name is Fili and welcome to CRO Cafe, the podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human-driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. In case you missed it, in the previous English episode, we spoke with Steven Pavlovich, CEO of Conversion.com, and asked him how you can, and why you should, be using experimentation to manage your risk. And he told us how you can create a risk profile for your own business or for your client's business. You can listen to that episode on the Shiro Cafe website or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. This episode of Shiro Cafe is made possible by our partners, Online Dialogue, Sidefact, Online Influence Institute, Content Square and Convert.com. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 38. Yeah, Elisa, welcome to the cafe. And before we start with the soft skills, we of course like to know how you got involved with Zero, how you got started, and what you're doing with Zero right now. Um, so pretty much like everyone else, I fell into CRO. Yep. I um, I actually started out as a front-end developer, so I'm, I'm self-taught how to code. I taught myself when I was about 15 years old. Um, and then I went off to university and did uh, media arts and English. But my media course was really practical. So there was lots of Photoshop and I learned how to record radio and edit video. Um, That's useful. And part of my course. Yeah, it was great. It was really, really hands-on, which is so unusual for a university course. Yeah. But then I ended up specializing in website design because I already had a bit of a background with code. Um, and then straight out of university, I was working as a freelance web designer and developer for about nine or 10 years. So quite a long time yep. working in digital. And then I took on a contract um, with a B2B company and they were doing A-B testing. And uh, I was like, this is quite interesting. This is this is quite fun. Um, I'm one of those rare front end ex front end developers um, that wasn't particularly attached to my code. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't precious about it at all. If it yeah. needed changing, I was fine with it. Um, and the, the whole appeal of A/B testing was I could write some code, test it, see how it went, um, and then you know if it didn't work out, then that's fine. You move on to the next thing. But because it was a B two B company it took forever for us to get any kind of results out of that, out of that test. Um, so then I actually moved on to a travel company and worked there for almost two years within their dedicated optimization team as a front end developer. So I was just building tests day in, day out. And I absolutely loved it. And I learned so much from my colleagues about sort of AB testing process, experimentation, um, analytics, and all these things, which I had a little bit of knowledge about from, dabbling in it at the B2B company and from my background in digital, but I'd never really followed a, a proper process, but because they already had a team ingrained, I learned so much. Um, so then I kind of turned that into my career essentially. Yeah. Um, and I, I worked, I worked with an e-commerce business for about two years and then I went into contracting and I've been contracting for the last, gosh, almost, uh, almost three years now, um, sort of moving around, helping uh, not for profits, um, especially, but also, um, I really like foc focusing on small to medium sized businesses. Um, I really like going in and making a difference and doing that education piece around what experimentation is and, you know, helping them out with, with that research piece as well. So I do quite a lot of UX, um, with most of my contracts as well. So that UX piece, that analytics piece, um, and then helping them embed this process 
into their workflow. And I think the really nice thing about working for SMEs in particular is that um, once you've made that impact and told them what the benefits are of experimentation, I can then leave that job, but leave them in a position to hire someone permanently. So I feel like I'm opening up the job market for other CROs who want a permanent job, which isn't me at at this point in my career. Um, But there's plenty of people out there that are looking to go in and make a difference and to work in CRO. Um, So yeah, I've I've really enjoyed, we enjoyed doing that sort of work. Um, In terms of what I'm doing at the moment, um, I'm actually, I'm actually rolling down a lot of my contracts because uh, I'm seven months pregnant. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of planning on taking a bit of maternity leave for a couple of months, um, which means that most of my contracts at the moment are sort of winding down, um, helping find replacements um, to sort of cover my maternity leave. Um, and just, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm working on right now is, is sort of handover stuff more than anything else so, so basically you're creating a lot of jobs for everyone uh and 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 now extra work because of your pregnancy leave yeah. <laughs> uh giving yeah. giving work to everyone else in the industry that's really nice it, it's it seems to be that way at the moment um i i'm sort of i've been posting over the last couple of days about um on linkedin and on twitter about a couple of jobs that i've seen advertised um just trying to connect the right people to the right jobs. Um, and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't sign up to be a recruiter. I've got a lot of respect for recruiters <laughs> right now because there's an awful lot of chasing. Um, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to do that. So, yeah. um, yeah, but that's, that's kind of how I fell into CRO and what I'm doing right now. I'm curious, uh, like I just said, and, and no one studied CRO. <laughs> so and, right? and you, you also rolled into it. Is it, was it mainly, um, uh, learning on the job or did you also, uh, seek out particular like courses online um, um, to to fill in some some gaps in your knowledge. Um, a bit of both. Um, I, I think that there's no substitute for learning on the job. I think that's the best way to yeah. learn. Um, and certainly in my, in my experience, I learn much better through having an actual project to follow rather than um, sitting down and doing a course and answering questions. Um, although I have I have done that. I've done sort of all of the Google Analytics. Um, certifications. Um, I'm sort of looking at copywriting courses. Uh, I've had lots of conversations with SEO experts. Um, so not necessarily a course, but like building up that network of yeah. people you can go to and ask questions. It really depends on the on the course how hands on they are. Of course, uh, so, so yeah, some do have exactly. projects or uh, working together included. But yeah, so there are also a lot of those courses. Of course, it's like you said, just filling in a. A form yeah. or uh, to get your certificate or yeah, it it feels like um, a box ticking exercise. And for me, I don't I don't learn through box ticking. I learn through doing. Um, but everyone everyone is different, yeah. right? So some people are much better having a structured course to follow. Um, I I had to train a guy how to code um, about a year ago, and you know everything I taught him was useful. But then he was like, I really want to do a structured course because that's the best way that he learns. So he went off and did a structured uh, JavaScript course and came back with this immense amount of knowledge, um, which has like really, really helped him out over yeah. the last year or so in the role that he's he's working. Yeah, in. I also also really usually enjoyed uh, the combination, as in um, I, I want to get those that hand on uh, experience, but also I, I would prefer to skip the first couple of months of of failing <laughs> yeah <laughs> if, if i as, as much as possible so a, a couple of hours cor- uh, of a course to help me get started and to at least avoid the biggest mistakes <laughs> that would be helpful 
<laughs> oh, you can't you can't avoid failing. You can't work in CRO and avoid failing. I'm really no. sorry to break yeah. that to you. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, you're you're completely right. And I often find with um, especially paid courses, uh, you never really know what you're going to get. Um, they kind of give you all this sales spiel and you're like, oh, no, that sounds great. And then you sit there for the first couple of hours and go, well, I already knew all of this. Or you go, this is way over my head. What have I let myself in for? Yeah. Um, so finding the right course can be so, so tricky, um, which, again, is part of the reason why I, I much prefer learning on the job. It's part of the reason why I love working for SMEs, because a lot of the time something is thrown at me and I go, do you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to go look it up and I'm going to speak to my network and find someone that knows the answer and I'll come back to you. And I've learned something in the process of doing that. Um, but again, that's just me. That's, that's how I learn best. For over 10 years now, online dialogue advises about evidence-based conversion optimization with a focus on data and psychology. We see that analyzing data and recognizing customer behavior results in a better online dialogue with your clients and a higher ROI. The team of strategists, analysts, psychologists and UX specialists gathers valuable insights in the online behavior of your visitors and together with you they optimize the different elements of your CRO program through redesign, expert reviews, A-B tests and behavioral analysis. For more information about their services, go to onlinedialogue.com. Speaking of gaining skills, uh, the whole point where we're sitting together uh, today is you, you wrote a, a blog post uh, about zero soft skills. Um, yep. So first of all, why did you uh, write the blog post? It, it started off about a year or so ago. I'd landed a contract and um, and there were some big communication issues with one of the stakeholders. Um, and you know, I, I sort of sat there and I spoke to some of my peers and the people I was working with. And I was saying, why are we struggling to to explain to him what CRO is? Why are we struggling to get him to sign off on any experiments that we want to run? What's the what's the problem here? Um, and it turns out that he was a really visual learner. Um, he didn't he didn't have the um, the brains that thought in analytical ways. He couldn't look at data and go, oh, okay, that's a problem. Um, and he couldn't he couldn't read an email or read a hypothesis and understand that that was a problem and this was the concept that we wanted to experiment to see if we could improve the problem. So, yeah, we, we worked out he was really visual. So off the back of this contract, which had been really frustrating for a good couple of weeks trying to understand what he wasn't getting, I realised it was just a communication issue. Like he, he, couldn't, he couldn't understand the way I was communicating to him. Yeah. And as soon as, I, as soon as I had this brainwave of oh, it, he's visual, he needs to see wireframes or he needs to have a mock-up of something, which isn't the best process to have. But when you're trying to educate someone around the A-B testing process, um, just to begin with, then having a visual and sort of doing that extra piece of work at the beginning of, of a test process really, really helps in the long run. Um, but after I had this brainwave, I suddenly thought, oh my God, I had a stakeholder a couple of years ago who I was having the same issue with. And we would butt heads all the time. And it's probably because the, my methods, my preferred method of communication was not the same as his preferred method of communication. He couldn't absorb the information. Um, and then that kind of trailed back to a story that I frequently tell um, from my university days. I have, um, I have a really close friend, um, still really good friends with him, who um, is not dyslexic, but he really struggles to absorb information through reading and writing. 
Um, that's just not his preferred method of communication. He, um, he's very audible. So he's very chatty, um, understood things better when he was sat in a lecture and could listen to the information. But that meant that he really, really struggled to write and submit his essays on time. Whereas I'm, I'm much more of a written communicator. Um, I know I'm speaking right now to you on a podcast, um, but I, this has taken years of practice for me to sort of get better at communicating um, audibly and linguistically, um, as opposed to writing stuff, which is part of the reason why I wrote a blog post, right? Yeah, exactly. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I kind of worked out this system with my friend where he would dictate his uh, essays to me and then I would sit there and I would write them. Um, and the irony is I, I kind of do the same thing with my now husband uh, quite a lot where he will he works for startups um, and he's heavily invested in one particular startup right now. And, you know, he'll he'll kind of have this idea and really struggle to to articulate um, what he wants the messaging to convey. So we'll we'll literally sit there or we'll go for a walk and we'll have a chat and then I can sit there and write down copy for him and say, I think this is what you were trying to trying to say essentially um so the whole idea of the cro soft skills was off the back of this this experience that i had with a contract and then when i thought about it i thought actually this goes way back these methods of communication and preferences go way back in my life um i have all of these examples to draw on i want to draw more attention to it um and that's kind of how i came across this whole idea of cro soft skills so so let's go uh, go through them you you've written down uh, six of them is there yes. like any particular order or hierarchy in them or No, not not really. Um it's just how I wrote the article. Um so I'm I'm kind of happy to go in whatever order. Yeah. So let's start with listening number 1. So again, I I feel like listening is um is kind of like that key point to understand what someone's preferred communication style is. Um and I, in my article, I've, I've split it into two. So there's the aspect of listening to your customers, especially yep. when you're working in CRO. Uh, you know, your customers are the ones that are probably experiencing the problems. They're the ones whose experience you're trying to improve upon. So you should listen to, to what they have to say. Um, I mean, I'm a big advocate for UX. I, I come from a, a developer background and I've been doing A-B testing for longer than I've been doing UX. But the more I've, I've done UX, the more I'm, I'm a big advocate for it. And I think you can't really do UX without doing A-B testing at the same time. I think the two go hand in hand, um, which is why listening is so important because you can understand why people are struggling to complete a particular action on your website or app. Um, so that's why I think listening to your customers is really important. But I think that listening really extends into your colleagues as well, especially when it comes to trying to understand you know, how best they communicate with you. So um, again, it could be uh, that they have a test idea, um, but they don't really know how to explain to you their test idea. Um, but if they've got an idea, then that's great. That means they're already engaged. You know, you don't have to necessarily educate them around um, A-B testing. Um, but, you know, you need to do something with that test, which means you need to listen to them in the first place. Um, if you're trying to work out what their preferred communication style is, listening is not necessarily having a conversation like we're doing right now. Listening could also be reading. They could have written you an email or, you know, sent you a screenshot of um, another website that they've seen where they've gone, oh, I really like the design of this particular aspect on this website. That's their way of communicating. So you need to listen to that and then try and communicate back in a similar style. Yeah, and, and, and try... Um try to get them to understand how A-B testing works, right? I think that's, yeah. that's where a lot of people also struggle with, with people coming through, okay, I want to do an A-B test on this uh, 
new landing page that we made. But okay, it's it's a new landing page. Is it live yet? Mm -hmm. No. So there's no traffic. <laughs> no. Can you please A-B test it? Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that listening is kind of like that first, that first port of call really yeah. to understand, you know, both in terms of how you can improve things um, for customers, but also how you can improve your relationships with your colleagues as well um, by understanding where they are in terms of understanding CRO, um, in terms of building that relationship and understanding how they communicate best, whether it's visual or audibly or um, written, um, depending on how they've reached out to you in the first place. Um, and also just kind of listening to their concerns, because you'll always come across a couple of colleagues who, you know, have major issues around testing and think it's a massive issue in terms of risk. Um, in which case, if you've listened to their concerns properly and, and taken the time to not immediately get defensive around why we all know that testing is the least risk um, you can take really when you're launching a new product or a new feature. But if you can listen to their concerns, then it means that you can communicate the reasons why they're wrong back to them. Yeah. Um, but if you just talk over them um, or get defensive straight away, then you're never going to have a proper conversation yeah. and you're continually going to butt heads. Yeah, I'd argue, argue that, especially when you begin uh, at a company and that zero is new to them, that I think like, like 30 or 40% of your time should probably go into internal communication <laughs> to, yeah, to explain yeah. what you're doing and uh, get them to understand how things work. And, and No, yeah. completely. And I guess that's part of where my experience comes in because I am a contractor. So I tend to change jobs every sort of three to six months and go into a new business and have to go through this process. Um, from it, this whole soft skills is probably more relevant to people that do chop and change jobs a little more frequently than someone who is sort of set in, you know, a company like Amazon or booking.com where, you know, testing is already ingrained. So, um, but those relationships are still really important to build. And I think listening is, is like the first step to that. Um, I also think it can be applied to your personal relationships as well. Like a lot of people just tend to talk over each other. Um, and we don't listen to each other enough, really. So more more listening for for zero. So the second point is uh, communicating. I think we already touched upon that in the intro and, and just a bit. But uh, any more tips on communicating? Um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, again, it really depends on who you're communicating with. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, stakeholders are going to be vital to, for getting sign off. In which case, working out how that particular stakeholder prefers to communicate is going to be really important. Um, but then also if you're working with engineers, for example, some engineers are not um, people, persons at all. You know, they, they like being behind their screen, in which case you can almost automatically assume that grabbing them for a coffee um, or, you know, having a video chat like this in these particular circumstances um, is not going to be the best way to communicate. So you need to make sure that you're writing emails which contain all of the details that they need. Yeah, talk, talk to... Uh, to them uh, through Jira tickets or, or GitHub yeah. comments. <laughs> That's exactly it. Exactly it. And, and be succinct as well. Like don't, don't ramble on. Um, I always, uh, I was actually having a conversation with um, some colleagues two days ago around the European style of communicating versus the British style. Um, and in Britain, we're very kind of, Hey, how are you? How was your week? Um, whereas, uh, in my experience, you correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I love the European style of just, you know, hi, this is what I need. <laughs> <laughs>
Yesterday's brainstorm was so good. I really liked Steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons. Making them orange will really make them stand out, don't you think? Yeah, right. Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influence, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. I remember working for um, or hearing a story. Uh, so it, it happened before I joined the company, but they there was a Swedish company and they took over a, a company in the UK, and they were quite offended by the Swedes just saying hi and uh, and, and this and this and this is what I need. While the UK would prefer saying hey, hello, how are you? <laughs> yeah, they do all the we do all of the niceties, and yeah. I actually much prefer the European style. I'm like, no, 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 this is what I need from you this is what i'm telling you um just get on with it you know i'll catch up with you at the pub or you know we'll have drinks on a friday or whatever and then i'll make nice but right now i need i need to do work i need to get stuff done exactly so so what i'm hearing is is is, uh, mainly be be flexible in how you communicate this is not a one-size-fits-all uh, really sure. tailor it to the person uh, or the group of people that you're uh, communicating with. Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's not easy at all. Like I said, I'm I'm much more of a, a writer and a reader than I am a talker. Um, this is something I've had to work on over the last couple of years. You know, the first time I gave a presentation, I, I was so nervous. I was so scared. Um, but it, everything went fine, you know, and the people I was presenting to absorbed the information. If they didn't absorb the information, then I made sure I sent a nice email at the end with a follow-up to explain what I'd covered. Um, you're completely right. Being flexible in your communication yeah. styles, I think, is really, really key. I actually uh, saw a comment from someone on, uh, on LinkedIn or a post actually from someone that, that said uh, that he's been uh, working his ass off to 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 actually tailor the communication uh, to mm. this, this was specifically uh, about the results of experiments and sharing that uh, with the company. And he, he tailored that previously, he tailored that uh, to the specific group or person that he was uh, communicating it uh, with. And he said, yeah. well, last week I, I changed it. Uh, I, I just sent one uh, template to everyone and, and no one complained. So my, my first comment was, are you sure that that people are reading <laughs> yeah i don't yeah. want i don't want to be an asshole but is, that, is anyone reading no, it no, no. to start you're, with yeah. but <laughs> you're completely right and it could be that no one complained because you know they looked at it and went oh i don't i don't really understand it oh. you know and they didn't want to ask a question um which again i think is where that communication style really opens up those relationships if you've already proven yourself to be open to communicating in the way that the other person prefers if you're already listening to them and actively listening to them then they will feel more open to come and approach you yeah. with test ideas or with questions. Um, that's that's the thing I love most about my job is when people come and ask me questions because I know that they're engaged and I know that I've already started to build that relationship. If no one's asking yeah. me questions, I'm thinking, what have I done wrong? Um, what what are they not getting? Because no, no one understands everything I tell them the first time around. I wouldn't expect them to. You know, I've, I've got sort of almost eight years experience working in CRO. I wouldn't expect to be able to convey eight years worth of experience to a person in an hour's presentation. Yeah. I would expect them to come to me with questions. And if they don't have questions, then I've done something wrong. What, what I usually try to do when um, there's usually uh, quite some communication going on between different departments. 
And Shiro is often uh, situated within digital marketing, uh, but you might have communication with uh, sales or with uh, customer success or, or customer service, whatever <laughs> the name is. And usually those departments have different goals than your department. Uh, so it really helps to get an understanding what is the goal of the service department or the sales department? What are their KPIs for, for this quarter or this year? And if you can frame your results uh, in those KPIs, in, in that context for them, uh, it makes much more sense than when you just send them a report. Okay, we increased the KPIs for e-commerce, but yeah, they don't necessarily care. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that might not be relevant their, to them. Yeah, exactly. That's not their KPIs. Yeah, it's really interesting you bring that up. I actually also wrote an article on where CRO should sit, um, and I think again, this is why communication is so important because yeah. I've seen CRO sit within their own team, so sort of completely dedicated. Yeah. I've seen them sit in analytics, product, marketing, engineering, and the. The hard thing about working in CRO is that you have to have relationships with people from all of those teams. Yep. It doesn't matter where the CRO team or person is positioned within a business hierarchy. It doesn't matter at all. What matters is that that person or team has a relationship with all of these yep. other teams because everything overlaps. And well, it, it, it matters for in the end of the uh, at the end of the year when you need to explain. Your KPIs, and <laughs> then, then it really matters which departments you fall. Uh, fall yeah, under. no, that, yeah. that is true. I mean, whose who's budget yeah. is, is the paycheck coming out of, for <laughs> <Exactly>. sure. <laughs> but from, from like a relationship point of yeah. view and from a soft oh, skills point of view, yeah, I, I don't think it doesn't matter at all. It's it's about those relationships that you build um, as as a CRO specialist. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, um, uh, I often feel more most comfortable if, it's, if it falls within product. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow, um, and and for, I was also talking to a company uh, last week, and they were they were looking for um, a growth product lead, mm. and uh, they had no idea why CRO would be relevant there. Oh dear! I'm like, but that's that. I think if I'm reading the job description that they had for it, it was exactly. It, it sounded like CRO. It sounded like yeah, but, but be, just because it was not on site on the website they thought it was completely irrelevant oh gosh that's weird to uh to, to have those conversations and then and then you um experience that communication or or the the knowledge gap uh yeah. that there can be at some companies yeah yeah definitely and then obviously someone goes in and and shows them the importance of CRO and product and that yeah. relationship yeah and they go oh gosh we, we totally missed the boat on that we got that completely wrong yeah but they they even got experimentation in there so I'm like, okay, but it's very similar. Oh wow! <laughs> so let's let's go to to your uh, third point, which mm. is being organized. Yeah, I'm actually talking about product. This works in quite well because yeah. um, uh, obviously a lot of a lot of a product um, product manager's job is uh, managing essentially, where you're managing sort of the process of, of a product being uh, researched and developed and built. Um, and I think CRO does also require a substantial amount of organizational skills as well. Um, not maybe not quite to the same level as, as project or product manager. Um, I've I've done some project management in in my past, and I have big props, lots of respect to project managers. Um, it's not for me. Uh, I'm very much a. Um, I like being active. I like producing things and creating things myself. Um, and I find that with project management, there's an awful lot of chasing other people to do stuff, uh, which I, I sometimes get a bit frustrated with. So but that's you know, basically of, the job. 
Yeah, usually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have a lot of respect for, for people that do project management, um, yeah. for sure. But with CRO, I, I believe that you still need to be very organized um, in order just to manage any kind of CRO or experimentation roadmap. And even if you're working within a team um, and maybe you're not in charge of the full CRO roadmap, because things change and iterate so quickly within experimentation, um, you know, you might be working on, you might be focusing on UX and doing some research into one part of a website as well as, you know, another part of a website and trying to submit results or like do some analysis. That requires a certain level of organization to understand what you need to prioritize and what you need to report on first and where your time should be spent. So, so how do you do this when you, when you start at a company? Uh, you said uh, you, uh, you often come in as, as the first one uh, uh, breaking open the way for, for <laughs> new CRO people uh, to be hired and, and get them uh, up and running. But uh, even though there's a blank slate uh, CRO-wise or experimentation-wise, there are probably already structures in place. They might already be using uh, uh, Jira or Trello or, I don't know, Google Sheets. Mm. Uh, so so how, do, how do you get started? How do you uh, get them uh, on board with using uh, documentation for zero? I mean, it's a really good question. And actually mentioning all of those tools is key. I, I prefer to try and use a tool that they're already familiar with. Um, you know, if, if part of the team are already using Jira, then I'll be flexible and turn around and say, yep, yeah, okay, we can, we can stick all of our A-B tests in the backlog into Jira and we'll have a Jira roadmap. Um, or, you know, if, if they're using Trello, then fine. If there's nothing in place at all, then I might simply start with a Google Sheets because... Yeah. It, it's less overwhelming for them to learn a brand new tool and a new process if all they have to do is look at what is essentially an Excel spreadsheet. You know, most people are familiar with that. Um, and in terms of kind of getting that organization, that process in place, a lot of that is to do with the education piece when you're first trying to get everyone up to speed with what A-B testing is. Um Part of that is talking about the process. You know, you need to have a backlog of ideas. They need to be evidence-based. You need to prioritize them and decide what you're going to run first. And then ideally, you want to put together a roadmap um, so that you know what you're going to be running first and what you're going to be running last, and then you're going to be reporting on it. So, and I think all of this just plays into being organized is them understanding what a process should roughly look like. Um, and there's no perfect process, right? You know, every business has something slightly different that works for them and that doesn't. But starting off with the basics yeah. is, is a good way to start, I think. Marketing budgets have suffered and the share for A-B testing has been impacted too. If you want to keep testing to enterprise standards, but save 80% on your annual contract, you can consider Convert.com. With their summer release, you can take advantage of full-stack and hybrid features, strong privacy compliance, no blink, and enterprise-grade security. Feel good about your smart business decision. Invest what you save back in your zero program. Check out www.convert.com slash 2020. Yeah, reusing the, the or utilizing the, the tools that they already have, uh, I think that's, that, that's definitely always my strategy. Mm. Uh, because the, the hardest part is is getting people to switch tools. So, if, and it really depends on their maturity. And if, if you're just starting out, it, it doesn't make sense to um, uh, to introduce a new tool uh, unless they're they're really <laughs> uh, bought into the whole idea and everyone wants to uh, has the time weekly or maybe even daily to use such a tool and and get familiar with it. It doesn't make sense to to start learning a new tool. I mean, I, exactly. I, I love using like effective experiments. I really love the tool. 
uh, it really takes away a lot of uh, the communication you need to do as, as a, a CRO uh, manager, uh, getting everyone on board. It, it, it just uh, does that for you. But mm-hmm. if no one is using the tool because they're not yeah. familiar with it, they, they find it too complicated. Everyone's in 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 Jira or Trello all day anyway. Uh, it's re- it's really hard to make people change yeah. in general. But <laughs> definitely, no, I'd, I'd completely agree. I really like effective experiments as well. But most of the time, I go in as as a one woman band, and you know, if I try and force a tool like that on a team, a lot of the time they kind of go, oh, "But we yeah. don't." we're not really doing the CRO, you're here to do the CRO. And then we're going to have a replacement come in to take over from you. Um, we don't want a whole new tool. You know, we'd much rather everything connected up. If we're using Jira and our engineers are using Jira, then that means all of the engineers can see yeah. the documentation. And it, it sometimes which is, just... Which is far from perfect, of course. I'm, I get no, really frustrated with Jira. Then. <laughs> Usually <laughs> compared to effective... I, I wish for effective experiments daily if I use... Use Jira yeah, for that, yeah. but uh, yeah, then the then the frustration is uh, is something you need to take in for at least uh, um, the start of, uh, of such a project. Yeah, I, I feel like if you force a tool upon someone, um, or if you really try and force a very strict process upon a company, then they're never going to continue. They're never going to carry on with it. The whole thing will be a failure. Um, you really need to try and work with what they're familiar with and try and understand what is accomplishable. Um, within that particular business it's, it's very much a per business or per company um, situation really any uh, particular um, uh, tips you might have to organize the results of experiments keep everything together um, if possible so for example if you're using something like jira or trello um, then make sure that you're putting all of the results even if it's um a a slide deck a lot of my results i tend to put into um a presentation slide uh so that again i can address the different communication styles where i can write out a paragraph this is the results i can also include a graph and i can include a screenshot of what was tested um so it's nice and nice and accommodating for all those different communication styles but i make sure that that goes in with the jira ticket i'm also um a big fan of numbering all of your experiments um sort of in the backlog, in whatever uh, organizational tool you're using, making sure you've got like that. And then whatever testing tool you're using, make sure that the number is the same across all of those experiments. Um, it's it's quite fun. Now I'm working with some teams to sort of turn around and go, well, how are you getting on with, you know, CRO 67? Um, and we all know what we're talking about. In fact, um, at one of the companies I used to work for, we had an ongoing ticket, uh, which was within our um within our JIRA board for all of the experimentations we were running. And it was something like, it was something like CRO one, two, three. And um, we'd have a stand up every week and we'd say, Oh, Sam, how's CRO one, two, three coming on? It had nothing to do with testing. It was trying to get him to quit smoking. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it meant we didn't have to ask him how he's getting on with quitting smoking. We just go, how's CRO one, two, three. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, he'd always say it was blocked. It's blocked right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we, we we need to listen, we need to communicate, we need to stay organized, uh, and we also need to be flexible. Uh, so what yeah. do you mean by that? I mean, we've talked, we've used the word flexible quite a lot in everything we've already covered. So being flexible around communication styles, being flexible around what tools and processes you try and put into a company. Um But I also mean flexible in the sense that, you know, we just talked about putting together a roadmap and putting together a plan for testing. Um, However, like things never go to plan, right? I'm I'm seven months pregnant and I'm being told to put together a birth plan, knowing full well that 
that probably won't happen. It won't go according to plan. Um, (laughs) It's yeah, it's fine. I'm going to have to be flexible about it. Um, I do the same thing with, with my roadmaps, with my experimentations. You've got to be flexible because, uh, but it's it's good to have a baseline. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's it's good to have a plan. So you've got, you know, roughly what you want to accomplish, but business requirements change. Uh, last minute campaigns suddenly come up because someone forgot to tell you that this was happening. Um, you know, we have uh, twice weekly releases where the website might change something which might affect a test that's that's running. Um, the whole idea is that you almost need to plan for those disruptions now. Um, and a lot of my testing roadmaps do tend to include a little bit of uh, breathing space almost uh, for those last minute things that can come up. So there's that aspect of flexibility in terms of the actual running of experiments. Um, but again, I think it's also about being flexible with colleagues around test hypotheses that they might have come up with. And you sit down and you have a chat with them and you realise that that hypothesis is complete nonsense, maybe. But you can see where they've come from with the idea or with the problem. So you need to be a bit flexible in terms of getting them to think about it in a different way or you know, rewriting or reworking that hypothesis or thinking a bit more around what their KPIs are. That, 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 that's, a, that's a struggle in the beginning, right? If you, if you start out and, and they are enthusiastic, but come to you with stuff you think, well, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But, but you, you, you do want to keep them enthusiastic about it. You do want to get them, uh, keep them involved in, in all of this. So like you just said, you don't want to uh, put them down right away and, and exactly. uh, demotivate them. So there, yeah. there's a fine balance there. It's it's a really difficult line to draw because you don't want to. You're right. You don't want to turn around and say no. That's that's not going to work. Because um, you do want to keep them engaged, which is why again it comes back to listening. You need to listen to them and understand how they've come across this particular hypothesis, so that you can then sit down and go, all right, I understand that that's the problem that you've witnessed. Maybe you've seen a user recording or your mum spoke to you at the weekend and said, oh, I think you could improve the website by doing this. You know, that's someone has experienced a problem, but we need a bit more evidence or we need to work out how we can actually um, measure that the thing that we're changing has improved. Um, You know, it's, it's around being flexible with a colleague to try and encourage them to think a bit differently um, about the hypothesis they've come to. Definitely a skill I need to work on. Not necessarily <laughs> in the situation where uh, starting a new company and, and introducing people to Shiro, but I do oft, very often feel like uh, the bad cop at meetings where people talk about numbers in analytics or not necessarily experiments. And I'm like, uh, that that's not what those numbers mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- th- there are a lot of con- conclusions drawn, and then there's me, the only one being in the room, saying, well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's there again, there's a really fine line between, um, especially when you're looking at things like data, where uh, it can be interpreted in certain ways. And I think we'll probably cover this a little bit later, but um, you don't want to fudge the numbers. You know, that it, there's still a right way and a wrong way. Um, yeah. And if what they're doing is wrong or completely out there, then um, you you don't need to be flexible. You can turn around and go, well, actually, you know, we have have this evidence and all of this experience to say that what you're telling me is incorrect, um, which isn't necessarily flexible. (laughs) Um, In fact, it's the opposite of being flexible, but you need to understand, you need to sort of work on when is the best time to be flexible and when you shouldn't be. Tightspec offers a worldwide unique A-B testing, personalization and product recommendation solution. SiteSpec works service-side without any tags or scripts, which guarantees an optimal performance. 
The side spec solution eliminates delays and the chance of any flickering effects, and this approach also ensures that the current and future browser security rules like ITP and ETP don't make an impact on your A-B testing and personalizations. For more info, visit sidespec.com. Yeah, for example, it's with when people are uh, either really sad or really happy with the results from uh, from a certain day. Yeah, we, we, we scored 10% above uh, budget or 10% below budget. And it's really good or really bad. And like, okay, but your standard deviation is like 15%. So it's... Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Or maybe even 5%, but still, it's, it's within the range of expected things. So it's, yeah. it's not necessarily... Good yeah, or bad, you, but yeah. Why? Why are you celebrating? Like, there's no need to. <laughs> there's no need to celebrate right now. Yeah, or, or so it can also be positive, right? So you don't yeah. have to feel bad. <laughs> it's, not, it's not exceptionally bad. It's just ten percent less than expected, but yeah, it's within it's, the expected range. Exactly, it's within the expected range. Let's see what happens over the next couple of days. Exactly, but yeah, flexibility. I, I think. Um, I think I also mentioned in my article around. Obviously, I used to be a developer, um, so knowing what can and can't be tested. Uh, sometimes someone might come to you with this great idea and you're like, oh, that's that's fantastic. And then you sit down and you start to develop it or you start to code it or T-shirt size it. And you go, oh, actually, uh, it's it's not technically possible for us to do that. So you have to be a bit flexible in, yeah. the term, in the sense of how do we make this test work? Because we could still have a lot of learnings. I think that's where um, things like fake door tests come in, where you... Yeah. Um, you sort of create a link to a new feature which doesn't actually exist yet. Um, and you kind of go, well, we, d- we don't have the capacity or we, we can't build out the whole feature right yeah. now. We just want to see if it's if it's viable or not. Um, that's a good way to be flexible in terms of actually building experiments. Do you want a subscription to our service? Click here and then, oh, we haven't built this yet. But um, yeah, great to know you're interested. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's that's a good way to be flexible, I think. Number five, I think that this is almost uh, at at the core of of being a CRO uh, practitioner is being curious. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm like, is is curiosity genuinely a, a soft skill? I I think I remember when I started writing the article, I was like, <laughs> yeah. would I call being curious a soft skill? Um, I was like, yeah, but it probably is because you can develop it. Like you almost train yourself over time to to be more curious about your users and about the problems that you're experiencing. Um, and I tend to, I tend to talk about, uh, the five W's of journalism. Um, there's an H thrown in there as well, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> basically, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, who, what, when, where, why, why? And how. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and if you, if you can train yourself to sort of ask those questions, um, I think you can learn an awful lot about your users and um, about why tests succeed or they fail uh, and come up with more more test ideas. Uh, I was listening to um, your podcast with AJ um, earlier on this morning and she was sort of talking about being creative and how sometimes companies get stuck on one particular solution to, uh, to a particular problem. And I think if you've got that curiosity in your skill set, you can turn around and go, well, I mean, this is the problem. Like I've worked out what the problem is um, and where they're experiencing it, but why are they experiencing it? And if you keep asking yourself these questions, you don't tend to get stuck on the same solution, potential solution to a problem. Um, 
because that curiosity is always eating away at you. Uh, and I think it's also really, really relevant for after a test has completed, when you can turn around and go, okay, well, why did why did that succeed? You know, I've run tests where I've thought, NAS, I don't think it's going to make that much of an impact. And then, oh my God, it actually did. Like, it had a huge impact. Um, or those, you know, those tests where you always think, oh, it's definitely going to have a massive uplift. And then it bombs, uh, which happens to the best of us. So uh, understanding why um, and being curious about why uh, helps you to sort of look into that and understand so that you can learn and iterate on it in the future. It might also help you internally if you, if you have a, uh, a relative political organization that you're working in, uh, having this line of questioning, maybe, maybe not do it out loud <laughs> <laughs> um, with your colleagues, but uh, having this in your mind and trying to figure out why people want certain things to happen, uh, why they want to test certain things or don't want to test certain things, or mm. uh, why are they scared of running A-B tests to begin with? Um, yeah. because they've they've made the code or they've made the campaign or they they developed the brand or whatever and trying to figure that out. That's really yeah. important too. No, you're completely right. It's so relevant. These these questions are like so relevant to every every part of our lives, really, not just CRO. I mean, that's what I focused on, but you're right. Like understanding, especially for me when I'm going into a new contract, you know, who is the who is the person that signs off on this? You know, how how do I get them on board with what I'm trying to do. Yep. Um, so relevant. And even in our personal lives, right? You know, why is my husband upset? <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what did I do? How can I make this better? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very, very frequently. Well, in, 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 in two months, the answer to everything will be lack of sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's more like what have we got ourselves into? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So who, what, when, where, why, and how as those, uh, as those uh, questions. And the last one is uh, integrity. Mm. That's an interesting one. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, it, I kind of tagged it on the end um, of the article. I remember when I when I was kind of thinking, what else do people need? And I remember I'd had a conversation with someone in my network uh, fairly recently around um, how so many businesses and CRO specialists seem to put these massive uplifts and massive gains and you know, oh, we increased the ROI by a ridiculous percentage. Um, and you, as, as someone who works in the industry, you kind of go, but really, is that, is, did Let, you really start, have okay. that much? Who, what, when, where, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and I, just, I have a massive issue with people fudging numbers, especially within CRO. Um, I don't know how commonly it occurs. Um, I do see it on marketing and sales spiel at times. Um, I'm, I hope that it doesn't happen that as much as I think it does in in-house um, areas. But part of me is like integrity is all about being honest. You know, when you fail, be honest about it. You know, don't don't shy away from failure. Failure is something which so many businesses are petrified of. But Failure is part of our job in CRO. If you fail, it's not the end of the world. You're still learning stuff. Um, what, what do they say? They say fail fast, right? Um, like I said, my husband works with startups and he's a massive advocate for, I just want to get stuff out there and see what sticks, like throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And if yeah. I fail fast, then fantastic. And I think that more businesses should have that attitude um, just in general. But working in CRO, integrity is all about turning around and saying, you know, that didn't quite work out the way I thought it would. Um, 
And again, it kind of comes back down to that flexibility as well, where you say, this process isn't working as well as I thought it was. You know, trying to do retrospectives after you've completed a roadmap or after a particular campaign has gone live. You want to learn from things and improve things. And that's the whole point of being of working in CRO and of, of trying to make things better. Um, and just practicing saying saying no or saying I'm sorry, I think is the first step to building that integrity. And um, also, I guess, I guess, integrity towards your users and, and uh, being fair in what you, uh, how you change the experience and uh, not trying to trick users in doing mm. things. I think that's also yeah. part of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, again, I, I was listening to Amar Deep's podcast with you a couple of days ago and he was talking about empathy. And yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a big part around building that empathy with users and not not doing things which are morally incorrect in order to get them get your users to do what you want them to do yeah. um so short-term gains yeah yeah i mean there's we've got the low-hanging fruit when you're doing cro tests but your low-hanging fruit should not be all about short-term gains because you're not going to do yourself any favors in the long run um yeah. with your customers or with your colleagues and and you're probably not gonna deeply improve your relationship with uh, with the customer by changing button colors that's <laughs> exactly no you're completely right. right and actually like the integrity bit comes back to what you were saying earlier around um how you want to work on being a bit more flexible and, and not say no to people but sometimes sort of saying no to people is being integral to what you believe and what you know um and if that involves not being very flexible and saying no yeah. then that's fine it's, it's part of part of integrity and part of making sure that you're honest to who you are um And you're not pretending to be something that you're not. That that sounds like a great finish of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Elisa, thank you so much uh, for sharing uh, or explaining uh, your blog post uh, uh, through through audio uh, with us. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, we definitely will link to the blog post, of course, uh, in the in the show notes. So for everyone that uh, wants to read on uh, and, and uh, uh, carry on the blog post, and, and there's probably a way of uh, commenting below uh, mm -hmm. your blog post. It's on Medium, right? Yeah, yeah it's on Medium. Medium. Yeah. So people can comment on that if you have any questions uh, for that, or of course, there's Twitter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm. I am on Twitter as well, um, exactly. and on LinkedIn. So yeah, you can Twitter, LinkedIn. Come so if you have any questions and... for Elisa, yeah, <laughs> go for that. Um, thanks so much and uh, talk to you soon thank you so much for having me bye 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 and this concludes season 2 episode 38 of the Zero Cafe podcast with Elisa Mail. next Monday in another English episode I talk with Elisanne Maatman and Dumkie de Wilde about doing Zero in a post-cookie world and how we are forced to change our way of working in both the short and long term talk to you then and always be optimizing